What's up, Whisper Nation, and welcome to the Week 3 Matchup Show from the Fantasy Whispers. Right here! This is part one. We've decided we're going to split this one up for you into two-parters, give you eight games to be able to go in-depth with every fantasy-relevant player in every single matchup on the slate. And this week is Week 3 after a horrendous injury roundup in Week 2 that saw so many players go down. The crew is with you today as, of course, I am Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at Big Travi TFW. I am joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, ARC, Austin Sear with us here. How's it going, Austin? You can find Austin, sorry, on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. How are you, Only Austin? fans, same. I'm great, man. Only fans is the same <laughs> handle. Catch me dropping <laughs> knowledge uh, at all different platforms. Shirt on, shirt yeah. off, just depending on your choice. <laughs> and with his shirt on and hoodie on, we've got the Sultan of Stats himself, Summy. You can find him at Summy TFW on Twitter. Summy, what's going on, brother? Hanging in there, man. Uh, just trying to recover from that uh, that week of injuries that we just had, and uh, excited to jump into today's show. More stats. Uh, you know, I love diving into more numbers, and this is where it really gets exciting. So excited to to get on the horn with you guys today. From one fantasy nerd to another, my boy, Johnny Game Time Hicks. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny underscore Game Time. Johnny, how's it going, dude? Oh, man, it is going pretty well, uh, considering all of the torture that we were put through this past weekend. But another week, we got waivers, we got a lot of stuff, and then we got this breakdown. So we're going to get you through it. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, that's right. We're going through every single matchup on the slate. As I said above, we're going to go through every fantasy relevant player, just the guys that you need to really know about starting or sitting here each and every week. Um, And as always, if you're not subscribed to us over on YouTube, please do so. We're dropping content every single day over there. So you want to make sure you're subscribed over there. Gentlemen, I thought we'd start off a little bit uh, first before we dived into the matchups with some rest of season outlook on a few players. And I want to start off at the quarterback position. And I'll start with you, Summy, and I'll give you three quarterbacks, and then we'll kind of work around the panel here. Um, Jared Goff, Gardner Minshew, and Ryan Tannehill. I would like you to rank these guys rest of season for me, if you could. Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, so who was it? Jared Goff, Gardner Minshew, Ryan Tannehill. Um, that's I'd right. probably have, Yeah, I'd probably have to go, surprisingly, I'd go Minshew as the number one. Uh-huh. Goff and then Tannehill. Um, I just like Minshew. I mean, he's looked solid, and he has the seventh or eighth easiest uh, passing strength of schedule for the rest of season, which is always a good thing. And I think this team's going to be a little bit more competitive than most think. Um, so yeah. So I think that we would probably all be in agreement that it's Minshew first, but it, where it gets tricky for us, I think, on the panel is Tannehill versus Goff. Austin, what do you what are you feeling about Tannehill versus Goff in that breakdown? I think these are two great quarterbacks to compare. You have Jared Goff, who is probably more of a conservative quarterback in a more conservative system than we give him credit for. I think a lot of folks believe that with Sean McVay, it's this high flying, let it go type of type of team but and their their weapons are fantastic but i i believe it's 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 a run dominated approach that's how sean McVay wants to play it and i think he wants to see jared goff as more of a role player within the system 
which is the opposite to me in how Fitzpatrick's role in Miami is situated. Underrated weapons in Miami um, with a quarterback who it seems every year for a couple of weeks sneaks into that maybe not MVP, but certainly Pro Bowl conversation. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy who can let it fly. Uh, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams and Mike Secchi, hello, uh, after this incredible week. They've got some weapons well, think, over there. I think awesome. we got you making the case for Fitzpatrick over Tannehill here, but the, Tannehill was the guy we were going to try and go with. You're thinking of uh, old Tannehill. Oh, my God. Miami. Uh, makes sense. <laughs> Tannehill, too. You, yeah. you know, the, the the memory of Adam Gase is so lingering. Like, yeah. you know, it just sticks in the mind. You know, Tannehill was on, on the Dolphins, so Austin, I get it. You know, you're, you're thinking about the Dolphins. No, it really yeah, does. But- <laughs> oh, it really does. But I would probably stick. Uh, I would. I think I would still stick it in that same position. Um, I think Goff is just a little bit right now ahead of where Tannehill is. But rest of season, keep in mind that Tannehill has not played with the Titans for more than even half a year right now. It was Mariota's squad before that. The weapons over there in Tennessee are fantastic. I know that AJ Brown's got his bone bruise he's going through, but the weapons over there are very, very strong. That team is much better with Tannehill, and I don't think we've still seen what he's fully about. We know what Jared Goff is about. So it's just a little intriguing to me with the Tannehill side because we don't yet fully know what he totally has to offer, and we're still learning more as he plays. Um, But I don't think you can go wrong with either any three of these. Okay, Johnny, I want to move, speaking of weapons, to the wide region, okay? We're going to have a rest-of-season outlook for a few guys that were drafted in the same area that provide really big upside for their squads and are potential number one uh, target getters on those squads. I've got Marquise Brown, Fuller, and Terry McLaurin. Johnny, give me a breakdown of which guy you're choosing to top that list and then kind of rank the rest. Um, I'm, I'm sticking. I mean, you saw Terry McLaurin go for... Uh, a mega day against one of the best in the league. And actually, Arizona is one of the better uh, teams at guarding the wide receiver, and he still torched them. So that just shows how good Terry McLaurin is. Uh, so I would go Terry McLaurin. And then uh, at um, the second here, I would put I, – I still think Will Fuller's upside is exactly what you're looking for at this point. I know he disappointed this past week but I wouldn't give up on him quite yet. I still think that there's a lot of opportunity. All right, I want to move us along, Summy, to the running back position. We've got Leonard Fournette, James Conner, and Melvin Gordon. So obviously we've got the supreme upside of Leonard Fournette, the upside that we drafted in James Conner, and now Melvin Gordon with Philip Lindsay and Drew Locke missing extended time could just be a volume monster. So for you, Summy, how do you rank Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Melvin Gordon rest of season? Yeah, this was uh, this was a little bit tough, right? Because these are three running backs that went around the same place in your ADP, and you know they all have concerns um, as you know, if it's injury or if it's inefficiency or if it's just you know just being like a plain old just a guy, kind of like Melvin Gordon. But um, I think I I would rank them Connor, Fournette, and Gordon, and it was really tough for me to place Connor over Fournette and and vice versa. But Connor, I mean, listen, we've seen this. If he's healthy, he is the workhorse. And Benny Snell fumbling and and making those mistakes kind of helps boost his case. And, you know, I was kind of on the ground just thanking God last week that Benny Snell was fumbling. And, and, you know, Connor took his role back because I do. I'm heavily invested in Connor this year. But Leonard Fournette, believe it or not, I mean, listen, the knock on him was that he's inefficient. He had a bad O-line. But this year, believe it or not, Jacksonville is the best run blocking O-line in the league through two weeks. So if that stays, 
Leonard Fournette, we could see him rip off a 70-yard run, 70 run every week, especially in this offense with Tom Brady, who likes to dump it off to a running back. I like the targets there, too. So I think he just has more upside than Melvin Gordon, who I placed last. Johnny, I think you kind of had a, a, a kind of all over the place one compared to Summies here, and I would just say that it's different rankings with this three. So I'm going to pitch it to you because I believe you have Fournette as your number one for rest of season. Yeah, I love. I think that we saw what we needed to see last last weekend. I think that the tide is now uh, turning over. We we know what BA has come out and said. Hey, Ronald Jones is still going to be our our you know opener. We like having like an opener, a middle, and a closer. Uh, but here's the thing, like Leonard Fournette is going to exactly like somebody said, like he's getting the blocking now and he will be able to rip off these big runs. And as the season continues, they're just going to end up turning to him. So I have him rest of season at number one. And then I have Melvin Gordon actually at number two, because uh, he he's going to be the only man in town for the next three weeks. And he could really build that trust within that organization in him. If he continues, I mean, he went against the Steelers and he performed. So, uh, and that we, we consider that a very good defense. So uh, if he continues to perform like this, the Denver Broncos have invested in him. Uh, and there's already been indications that Philip Lindsay was on his way out. So that's where I would put him. And then it's, you know, James Conner, I understand he is, he is very good, but he is also a, a very big headache and, he gets he's he's made of glass and it's unfortunate, but it's true. And so you're throwing him in your lineup every week and you're doing this. And if I have to do that, that's that's a headache to me. And I can't rank him above two other guys. I don't have to do this against. For those uh, listening to- on the audio, he is actually crossing his fingers in hope that <laughs> yeah. uh, James Conner does not. Not sticking yeah. up his middle finger. Or anything like that. Yeah, no. Uh, I just a quick correction here for our listeners. Um, I mentioned that Jacksonville O-line was the best blocking O-line uh, for running backs. Uh, there's actually a smudge on my screen. They're the seventh best, but the seven look like a one. So forgive me, but they're this, they're still up there, right? Yeah. Seventh best run blocking the line. I think that's a. Do that's you a win Jacksonville or or Tampa? Uh oh, wait. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Sorry, <laughs> well, I sorry. wouldn't go that sorry. far. No, yeah, I wouldn't I say just that. Wanted to make sure we we're still talking. About... It's okay. Look, it's the first time us doing this segment. We've got Ryan Fitzpatrick sighting. We've got the wrong offensive line. It's all right. We're we're moving through it. So our final uh, rest of season ranking here, we're going to go with tight ends, right? And we've got Noah Fant, Mike Kosicki, Tyler Higby, and Jonah Smith. And I, this one was hard for me, fellas, because if you look at these tight ends, three of which, Fant, Jonu, and Gasecki, were all TFW favorites to be breakout tight ends this year. And they're all starting to do it. So we could actually potentially hit on all three if the season continues this way. But then Tyler Higby with a monster performance of three touchdowns, uh, the first receiver for the Rams to have three touchdowns since 2017. So uh, we have a situation here that kind of was hard to rank. For me, I went with Noah Fant just based on Cortland Sutton's injury. I like the way that he's going to be kind of locked into target share, target market share for the rest of the season. Uh, and then I went with uh, Gasecki because I love the athletic ability and the fact that he's run pretty much all of his routes out of the slot. This team lacking that slot receiver for me gives the volume edge there to Gasecki and Jonu Smith, who did superbly on we in week two. I just don't know if we're going to get that same amount of volume all year long, but we could uh, definitely with the injury to AJ Brown, especially if it lingers. And then lastly was Tyler Higby, who I know has kind of emerges this team's number two. Uh, but I, I just don't know if I trust Higby to give you the upside every week that these other three can give you. But I, I tell you guys, like Austin, this was kind of like 
uh, apples and oranges almost here. Like you could have gone any which way, especially with those top three. No, definitely. Especially looking at Fant, Jonu, uh, and Gusecki, who are going to be the number one or number two options on their teams. Noah Fant, we know, is the number one now with the tragic news uh, for Cortland Sutton and, and just prayers up for that man. And Noah Fant now has an opportunity. He was already going to be a top option, um, but now he might be the option. Might be a, a George Kittle kind of scenario that we're looking at now in Denver. And Jonu Smith, similar kind of shakeup with A.J. Brown going down. He gets a bump up. Corey Davis has looked pretty good, but you still need more than uh, just one option. And even if even if Corey Davis is real, if the tight end is your number two, that's a really good position to be in. And Gesicki is a tight, is a, excuse me, a slot receiver disguised as a tight end right now. Was it like over 85% of the time he was lined up in the slot? He might be a cheat code um, in this year's NFL, kind of how Jimmy Graham was in years past. And Gesicki is physically dominant. And he plays now, like we said, for Ryan Tannehill, who can throw it out, uh, make things happen. And uh, while Devontae Parker, when healthy, is doing all right, and Preston Williams is a nice up-and-comer, Gusecki really could be the most dominant playmaker on that offensive side of the ball. Did you Did you we guys gotta get – We've got to get Austin away from talking about the two Ryan quarterbacks because he's mixing <laughs> Ryan Tannehill and Fitzpatrick up left and right. But that's all right. We understand here. You, we, we got it. We're, did we're you, did you guys you see – Did you guys see that Gusecki one-handed grab? Did anyone yeah. see that? That was – uh, that was phenomenal. Beastly, beastly. All right, well, speaking of Gusecki, we're going to see him in our first uh, matchup on the slate because Thursday night the Miami Dolphins uh, will be visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a 47 and a po- 47 and a half point over under with Miami, or I'm sorry, Jacksonville favored by two and a half. Um, so we know Jacksonville's at ho- home. This is more of a pick because if you're not favored by three or more at home, uh, it's not the most confident. Of a, of a favorable matchup per Vegas. Austin, when we get into this matchup and we look at the Jacksonville side of the ball, we've had a few of uh, storylines, in, including Gardner Minshew and, and some of the wide receivers here. But what's your take, a higher level view of this Jacksonville squad for fantasy purposes coming into this game? I think we're just getting a sample out of Jacksonville. It's Gardner Minshew looks real, he looks focused, and he looks like he hasn't had to pull out all of his tools yet uh, to advance the ball. I think DJ Shark is still being underutilized. I still think the run game has more to offer. James Robinson has come in and shocked the league, and they're going to have more running backs coming in as Armstead comes off of the COVID list um, and as Zigbo gets right, which is only going to help this team. Gardner Minshew is still a really young quarterback who comes in with a ton of moxie and talent, and the more confident and comfortable he gets in this system, the better they're going to perform it's an exciting mystery box to me right now. This still could be the Jacksonville of old, but it sure doesn't smell like it. It looks like an exciting up-and-coming team that is going to be creating a lot of highlights. They might not win as many games this year as their talent could allow, but I think that uh, the future is bright in Jacksonville for the first time in a long time. I'm, I'm excited to see what they've done. And Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins uh, are in a similar boat as well. They've got a lot of playmakers over there, tight end position, wide receiver position, and a host of other halfbacks, along with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who any game can bust you over for 300 yards and three touchdowns. So you can't sleep on this team either. It's a little more fun than their last five years of record. with. So, Sammy, when we dig a little deeper in the Jacksonville lineup, 
What has popped out the most to you? And we'll start with maybe Gardner Minshew because this week he made my waiver wire column. This week he made my waiver wire column as the top QB ad. And it seemed like that was going to be a mad, bad matchup against Tennessee. How confident are you uh, with Gardner Minshew right now? What have you seen? Uh, I've seen a lot of good things, man. Um, he's, I mean, just pa- just passing the eye test. I mean, he looks amazing, right? He's he's had a couple couple of error prone throws where like you know he hangs onto the ball a little bit too much he pads it a little bit too long or you know he doesn't hit the receiver in stride as often but um if you look at the stats right he has the eighth fewest pressured dropbacks over the last two weeks he has the ninth highest rate of pass attempts from a clean pocket 74.4 percent of his passes come from a clean pocket so that just speaks to this o-line right it speaks to the the protection that they provided and believe it or not they actually ranked fourth in pass protection uh, and that's to go along with the seventh and run blocking, right? So this O line's been a lot better than a lot of people had, had thought. And he's also completed 77.8% of his passes from a clean pocket, which is the ninth highest in the NFL amongst all quarterbacks. So I really like Gardner Minshew. I think he can sustain his his level of production if he continues to receive the pass blocking that he has from his O line. Uh, I mean, he has the eighth easiest strength of schedule versus the pass uh, versus pass defenses for the rest of the season. Um, I think he's a no-brainer, and you know he's he's that's part of the reason. You know, I saw that last year, where I just saw like you know if you give him a good blocking O-line, he could he could produce really well. I drafted him as a last round every one of my home leagues. Um, I had Cam Newton and Gardner Minshew. I have 100% equity in both of them, and you know it's paying off big right now. So I think that continues. And he's playing against Miami, so I mean, so like you've got to yeah. like this matchup, 47 and a half point over under, and playing against Miami, who just saw Josh Allen shred them uh, through the air. 32nd pass ranked pass defense. That's Miami. So yeah. fire up Gardner, fire up his wide receivers who, you know, I'd love to talk about as well in just a bit here. Yeah. So l- before we get to those wide receivers, I do want to talk a little bit about James Robinson because he's kind of worked as a workhorse here. When I'll talk about Leonard Fournette and his outlook, the, you know, the downgrading Leonard Fournette's outlook before he was tra- uh, was released by Jacksonville was Chris Thompson's in town and all this target market share that Chris Thompson would dominate. But what are you seeing out of James Robinson and that, and his usage through the passing game? Yeah, I mean, listen, Austin alluded to it earlier, but I mean, you have Ryquel Armstead on the COVID list. You know, you have uh, um, who's the other running back? That was Devin Zigbo. He's hurt. Um, but James Robinson's really capitalized with what he's gotten, right? 57.6% snap share over the first two weeks of the season. He's eighth in the NFL amongst all RBs uh, in yards after contact per attempt. He gets 3.88 yards after contact per attempt, which is really efficient. And again, you know, through two weeks, Jacksonville O-line ranks seventh in run blocking efficiency, which only boosts my confidence in James Robinson as, you know, an RB2 play. And he's RB15 on the year, straight up and points per game in half PPR. So that shows that, you know, he's providing that mid-level RB2 value that you did not expect to have from a guy that you picked up two days before the season, before the season started. Um, and, you know, through two weeks, it's also encouraging that we see that he only see, he only, he's only seen one less target than Chris Thompson. Six to Chris Thompson, five to James Robinson. So, again, I, th- I think he's going to return RB2 value rest of season, ev- even if Ryquel Armstead comes back, even if Devin Isigbo come back. They liked him enough to release Leonard Fournette. I think they they realized that, hey, this is our guy going forward. And I really, you know, you know what I really like, Travi? I really like this coaching staff being able to say, hey, this guy's an undrafted free agent. We're going to still play him. Draft capital doesn't matter, right? Like most teams are hesitant to do that and they won't do that. So I respect the hell out of this coaching staff for actually recognizing the talent that in the plays that he was making in camp and then, you know, 
cutting their lead, uh, cutting Uncle Lenny uh, in favor of him. So that's uh, so as Scummy yeah. sings high I praise would... of James Robinson. I see Johnny just chomping at the bit to be able to say something here. So why don't you go for it, Johnny? Tell us how you're feeling about James Robinson. If if I have James Robinson, if you Whisper Nation, if you have James Robinson on your roster right now. You go to the own or you go to the uh, fantasy player that is Summy, and you sell him this bill of goods that Summy just sold you because you will make out like a bandit. I promise you, you will not regret it. Because listen, I understand. Like if you look at the first two weeks, fifty-seven point six snap per share, that looks great. Hey, yeah, let's get him. You picked him up two days before the the season. Sounds awesome. But here's the reality: week one, he played a hundred percent of the snaps. Week two, he saw a significant regression due to who? Chris Thompson, who didn't see any snaps week one. Now you are saw now you get two other guys, uh, a Zigbo and um uh now I'm blanking on uh yeah, right, Ryquel Armstead uh or Armstead are coming off of COVID, uh the COVID list. And I'm not saying that, hey, those guys are a huge threat, but they are going to eat into this production because they they are more in uh, Rockwell. It's like more of a one, two down back. And I'm not saying Robinson isn't talented. I think that he has a, a chance in this league, but I would not, I would not say that he is an RB two for the rest of the season. I would so even a little bit of perspective there on the running back situation, but I want to kick it back to you, Summy, because we really got to get into this wide receiving situation because DJ shark has been, I mean, not to talk a bunch of smack here, but a disappointment to those who have invested in DJ Shark to be that wide receiver one for them this season or or a high-end wide receiver two. So walk me through what you see happening with this wide receiving core and if Shark has better days coming, and especially in this matchup against Miami. Yeah, um, so Shark has definitely been a disappointment. He's been uh, one of my primary buy-low candidates as of right now. Um, I think Keelan Cole, his emergence is definitely... It definitely has a part to play with, you know, DJ Shark's kind of quiet first two weeks, right? Um, but if you look at the snap share, he's played the most snap shares out of all wide receivers in this in this uh, room. 80.8% snap share. That's uh, head and shoulders above the next best, which is Keelan Cole. Uh, he has a 13% target market share, uh, which is very low for an alpha wide receiver, right? He only has seven targets in two weeks. He's actually fourth in targets on his own damn team, which is, you know, it's kind of concerning, but... I do expect that to pick up, right? He's getting a lot of attention, sure. But he's still producing as a low-end wide receiver three. He's currently the wide receiver 33 overall. And that's only with seven targets, right? Like, that Like that kind of makes you wonder, what if this guy saw twice as many targets? And we know what he did last year, right? He has an 18.4% air yard market share. I expect that to go up. Uh, there's, an, there's a very interesting stat. It's called receiver air conversion ratio. Uh, and it's really indicative of like a buy low, like, hey, this 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 receiver is outproducing the opportunity that he's being given. Anything over one is a red flag, meaning that's a good thing. He he currently has a 1.3 receiver air conversion ratio. That's 16th among all wide receivers with eight or more targets. Um, and again, that that I, I trust that metric a lot. That's actually produced by uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, uh, producer of AirYards.com. Uh, listen, like I said, Keelan Cole, his emergence is a factor in the passing volume. But again, DJ Shark's volume should increase. You want to keep in mind that Minshew only threw 20 passes in week one. Again, the buy low opportunity is here. It's going to close pretty quick. And I think it's going to close after this game um, where he's going to have to go up against a banged up Miami secondary who ranks dead last in pass coverage. So uh, I think this is a game that we see DJ Shark really bust out again. 
I think the panel can agree that DJ Shark should be started. I think we can agree in this matchup against Miami, James Robinson should probably be in your in your lineup here, and Minshew's worth a start as well. But I really yeah. want to ask the panel and turn it over here on Keelan Cole. Are we confident in Keelan Cole to do it three weeks in a row here, given his market share and what's going on here? Austin, I'll ask you first. I'm still just shook on the receiver error conversion ratio numbers that Summy <laughs> just dropped in. If you haven't liked and subscribed already – R-A-C-R percentages, if that doesn't get you, man, wake up. Get some coffee in you because that is the juice that keeps us moving. Receiver air conversion ratios brought to you by this one site uh, over in Columbia or wherever it's being recorded where they're really mining this crazy crazy data. I was just blown away. I'm shook. I'm going to be scanning everybody with above that 1.0 R-A-C-R. And I'm making moves this week, Summy. So thank you for illuminating my life with that. With that said, Keelan Cole, uh, this is one of those situations where we can look at stats and we can say, based on the numbers of the past, here's what I predict. But football is a game full of human beings. And when I look at the talent of the wide receiver core, DJ Shark, Keelan Cole, and even LaVisca, their high-touted rookie who's coming in here, I don't think you can bank on a number two receiver like Cole producing week in and week out um it's early in the season this team is still figuring it out if it happens i'm not shocked um however this is a small sample size again in a game of football that is week in week out small sample sizes and i think that shark is going to emerge as this top option cream rises to the top especially at the wide receiver position um if it happens i'm not surprised just like i'm not surprised if any uh middle of the roster wide receiver pops off even two weeks in a row three weeks in a row though i would be surprised i would not be starting with confidence i would count my blessings and move on with something a little less cute summy on the other side of the ball we know that mike kosicki is good we talked about him at the top of the show we want him to be that breakout guy 74 percent of his snaps have come in the slot we love to see that for a team who had both its slot receivers opt out at the beginning of this year this is a nice matchup for him, is it not, Sammy? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Gusecki, you can start him every week now. I mean, like you guys alluded to earlier, 74.4% um, of his 86 total snaps have come in the slot or out wide. He's seen 64 snaps in the slot, which, again, like Austin said, he's a cheat code, and he's lined up 15 times out wide. He, he leads the team in target market share, 21%, 16 targets through two weeks. He leads the team in air yard market share, 31.1%. And he's third amongst all tight ends with five or more targets in yards per route run with 2.71 yards per route run. So, I mean, if this utilization continues, yeah, sure, he had an impressive week two performance. But if it continues this way, I think he has a real shot at, you know, being a top five tight end on the year uh, if he garners the most targets on his team. Uh, if Fitz, you know, can continue to be serviceable um, and, you know, if they continue to be in negative game scripts, which I expect them to be. Well, and then you look They'll at the Jags. Well, you look at the Jags, yeah. they are one of the worst at uh, guarding the tight end position. You had Jonu Smith go off last week. Explode and, last week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, week one, you also had um, playing on the week one Get matchup. Jack Doyle. Miles Jack, Jack, Jack does not look like he's he's good in coverage. Like He just looks like he's not able to handle these tight ends in coverage, and I, I really like that observation too. And you know, If we're surprised by the Jaguars on offense being good, we're not surprised that they're not good on defense given how many players they've gotten rid of over the last couple of years, correct? 
But I want to talk about that wide receiving core, Summy. You want you talked about target distribution on this team. Walk us through the difference between Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, how they look going forward, but really in specific uh, to this matchup. Yeah. Um, so the split between Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, it's not fully clear, right? Uh, the hamstring injury has hampered Devontae Parker a little bit. And I think if you look at the numbers, right, uh, Preston Williams has a 28% air yard market share versus 21% for Devontae Parker. And I think that's 100% due to the fact that the hamstring is limiting Parker's ability to run deep routes, right? Um, I expect that to kind of shift. I expect Devontae Parker to start getting deeper targets if he continues to get healthy. Um, but again, you know, I think Preston Williams is a really, really good receiver. I think he has a shot to be a number one alpha receiver on any other team. Uh, but he just has Devontae Parker here who broke out at the end of last season. So it's a little bit tougher this time. Um, according to PFF, CJ Henderson, the rookie cornerback in, in Jacksonville, he's good. actually supposedly going to be shadowing Preston Williams. I mean, if Devontae Parker's not at 100% health, I could see that happening. You know, Preston Williams is the healthier option. He's a more dominant option here. Um, and saw Bill Belichick great. use Stephon Gilmore on Preston Williams. So we know yeah. that the teams are kind of going towards Preston Williams in coverage. We Yeah, like the teams are getting wise to the fact that, hey, this guy's really, really good. We got to we gotta guard him. We can't leave him open uh, worrying about Devontae Parker. But CJ Henderson, he's actually played really well, right? He's been targeted on 20% of his routes defended, which is the ninth most. And that's only because like quarterbacks are saying, oh, this guy's a rookie. Let me pick on him. But they're throwing into his coverage and they're not coming up with much because he's allowed just a 50, 54% completion percentage and only 1.29 yards per route run. So he's been performing really well as a rookie cornerback. And I think he has a pick really too, doesn't he? I believe he has a pick as yeah, well. Absolutely. He's playing really well. Uh, he is playing really well, and I like C.J. Henderson moving forward for this defense. So if he's on Preston Williams, I'd kind of temper expectations there. Um, but again, Preston Williams is athletic enough uh, where he could overcome that coverage. The only thing I'm going to be watching is Devontae Parker's injury, see if it lingers, right? Because that's something that we knew about Devontae Parker heading into last year where, yeah, he was he was a, he was a bust, but he was also injury prone. And that's that's a major contributing factor as to why he was a bust. He was always injured. So I think if this continues, I mean, Preston Williams could be a dominant receiver if anything were to happen to Parker. All right, because we've spent way too much time on the Miami Dolphins and Jacksonville Jaguars for my brain to comprehend, I need to ask you quickly, Summy, Summy what you feel about Miles Gaskin, especially in this matchup against the Jags. Yeah, so that's exactly what I want to talk about really quick before we uh, get off this matchup. Miles Gaskin is a guy who, I mean, you should have picked him up last week just, just looking at his trend from week one. Uh, if that continued into week two, he would have been a rosterable running back. And uh, and turns out he is, right? He's seen 14.5% of the target market share, 11 targets through two weeks. The next highest running back has two targets. That's Matt Breida and Patrick Laird. So he has the uh, the stranglehold on the targets in his backfield. He's the third down back locked in. And he's seen two red zone carries versus five to Jordan Howard. And we've seen like Jordan Howard, he's just now a goal line back. That's like, that's all he's being relegated to. You know, he's going to have like six touchdowns on like, on like what, like 30 carries on the season. You know, it's going to be insane. Um, but again, you know, if this trend continues, uh, if actually the trend changes, if, if Gaskin starts getting some, some more of the goal line work, which I don't really think is going to happen, but if it does happen, I think he'll be able to produce like mid RB3 flex numbers, even on a bad offense. So he's definitely someone I want to roster. I would start him as a flex option, even in this matchup. All right. So we move on to our second matchup here, and we're going to be talking about the San Francisco 49ers after losing 
what felt like half their squad in that game against the Jets will now travel again to the same field they were complaining about and face the New York Giants, uh, who will host them here in a 41-point over-under with the Giants uh, underdogs by four and a half points here. When we look at the Giants' side of the ball, some of the things, obviously the the most glaring storyline here is the fact that you know, uh, Saquon Barkley was lost to a torn ACL here. And now we're going to have to see what happens here. As as of today, Devonta Freeman was signed by the New York Giants, and we'll see how that goes forward. They also lost Sterling Shepard, and Tate has been out. So we'll have to keep, keep an eye on that wide receiving core. But, Johnny, when you look at this offense, how are you feeling? Uh, how, how does it stack up for you? Um, and, and where's your confidence level going up against this Niners defense? Uh, I mean... <laughs> You don't like it, right? Uh, you don't like the fact <laughs> yeah. that it's the first week, the first week without Saquon Barkley. Um, Daniel Jones, uh, he should get a lot of pass volume moving forward because that running back position is is going to be a little bit sketch. Now, uh, you know, whether Devontae Freeman is, is still good at football, I mean, some people will uh, say that, hey, there were some glimpses of what they saw in Atlanta that, could prove that he still has a little bit in the juice. He he certainly thinks he still has a little bit in the tank. Uh, and so they need some kind of production in order to keep defenses honest. If they can't get that, uh, I feel bad for Daniel Jones because it's going to be a long day. It's going to be a long year uh, be, because he's just going to get beaten up. That offensive line is terrible. Um, so, so we're not starting Daniel Jones this week, of course, right? Like this is not the matchup to get done, even without uh, Nick Bosa on the squad. But talk to Whisper Nation, Johnny, about this backfield, because now without Saquon, there was talk at the beginning of the year that Wayne Gallman could carry the load if he needed to. But then the Giants go and sign Devonta Freeman, who seemed to be holding out, if only for a starting job. Yeah, uh, so he... he- Seems all the all the arrows are indicating that he is going to be signing with the Giants, uh, barring just a COVID test. Uh, so unless he's been out partying lately, uh, he should be a running back for the Giants. So, like I said, that offensive line, is, we, we saw how bad it was. However, maybe teams aren't going to respect the running games as much as they were before. Maybe they're like, hey, let Devontae Freeman beat us as opposed to Daniel Jones. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of get a team's game plan against them, right? But uh, we did see Deion Lewis once uh, Saquon went down. It was all him. He got 100% of those snaps. So with the Devontae Freeman signing there, we know what he has said. He wanted to be the starter. So I definitely could see him getting the vast majority of snaps, maybe down the road, maybe not this week because it's a, you know, got to get the playbook, all that stuff. Uh, and so I could see him getting, you know, 10 to 14 touches maybe if he's in shape. Uh, but then beyond that, he'll get more and more uh, as the season goes on. My question, though, would be, what do you got? Do you think he's going to be an RB2? Is he going to be a uh, flex? Obviously, you're going to lose production from Saquon to Freeman. It's gonna, like they're not even on the same planet uh, talent-wise right now at this stage. Uh, so where where would you say that he's going to be rest of the season? Um, yeah. me person, me personally, I'm sorry. I mean, You're good. I would see him as like a flex option, uh, at best. I wouldn't even see him creeping up into like an RB three conversation. Um, Devonta Freeman of days past is gone and you know, it's, it's, he's not coming back. Uh, combine that with the fact that the giants O-line ranks 24th in, in run blocking 
Uh, a guy like Saquon, I had confidence in overcoming that deficiency, but a guy like Devonta Freeman, who's at the tail end of his career, uh, with no real passing threat, I mean, I, I really don't see it happening. You know, I think defenses, like you said, Johnny, are going to game plan against him uh, and stopping Daniel Jones' deep pass. So moving on here, I think I want to ask really quickly, and um, Johnny, just rest of season, do you have Deion Lewis, Wayne Gallman, Devonta Freeman, rest of season, how, how do you like that shaking out? I would, I think Devonta Freeman has has it, and then I would say Deion Lewis comes second, and uh, Wayne Gall. So I think we're in agreement that it's a you know matchup dependent flex for Devonta Freeman maybe going forward as far as what we've got going on. Yeah, get ugly. Is gotten a little bit ugly is this wide receiving core too for the Giants, Johnny? We've seen Golden Tate miss time, and now we've seen Go- um, Sterling Shepard with the toe. What do we see going on here? Is it Darius Slayton or Bust here, or or what what do you like here? Yeah, that's the only one that I'm confident in starting. Uh, I mean, Golden Tate came back. He uh, saw five targets in his return, but again, he doesn't. To me, he doesn't show any upside. He you know he might be able to get in the end zone against the 49ers, uh, but I will say that the 49ers, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, haven't given up a passing touchdown. Is that correct? Um, they also just lost uh, uh, Richard Sherman. That also, yeah, but they. I mean, even they've even with the Richard Sherman and the Bosa injury, this defense has been top ten on both rushing and and passing. Yeah. Now they did play the Jets, so that'll help your numbers uh, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But I do like what I've seen out of the defense uh, next man up strategy. So Slayton would be our guy that we're starting here uh, if we're going to start anyone. Yeah, he's... what level of confidence do you have him in this in this matchup? He would just be a flex for me, uh, but he's a high upside flex uh, at that. He can He's one of those guys that can get you 20, 20 plus points. And on the others, and the last uh, pass catching option here for the Giants is, is Evan Ingram here. Uh, Johnny, have you liked what you've seen from Evan Ingram? He seems to be kind of easing his way back into the rotation here. We know he's been plagued with injuries in his career. Actually, if the, yeah, if there's anyone else that I would be starting on this roster, it w- it's definitely Evan Ingram. If you have him, uh, feel confident playing him at this in this game because he plays 51 percent of the time in the slot. We just said how much we love Jaseki because he plays so much in the slot. Well, where they're doing the same thing with Evan Ingram, and it's actually kind of interesting because you're seeing it across the league, right? And a lot of these breakout tight ends. They're starting to move them and seeing that there is an advantage of having the tight end lined up outside uh, and and then also bringing in another tight end to block. So it's really interesting in that uh, from that aspect. But Evan Ingram has had a he had a solid game last week, but against this banged up 49ers, they're going to be able or they're going to have to move the ball somehow. And I expect that to be Evan Ingram. That's their biggest matchup uh, advantage. Also, just to add to that, I mean, Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley, I mean, how many vacated targets is that that are going to go to Evan Ingram, you know? That's yeah. that's a very valid point. Very similar very similar routes on the field that those three guys run. So uh, if, if Evan Ingram is able to stay healthy and soak those up, he could be in for a big bounce back year this year. Other side of the ball, the San Francisco 49ers lost Jimmy Garoppolo last week. We're not sure on the timeline there. He could be missing. So that vaults Nick Mullins into the lineup and for me I think the biggest storyline here pass catchers it's not even if Kittle comes back in week three which he's been slated to do for me 
it's the running back core because now we've seen Raheem Mostert with a mild MCL sprain, Johnny, and we've seen Jarek McKinnon get vaulted into maybe a starting role with Jeff Wilson because Tevin Coleman also is missing multiple weeks. So break us down here with this running back core and how you see this matchup against a poor uh, Giants defense. I, it's going to be a, a home run hit here for these running backs. I expect them to get a lot of targets. I would actually start both Eric McKinnon and uh, if you need a secret waiver wire uh, fine for this week to get you through this week if you had brutal injuries uh, that not a lot of people are probably going to go after, it's going to be Jeff Wilson. Uh, Jeff Wilson actually led uh, after the, the Tevin Coleman injury and uh, as well as the um, – the Moster injury. Jeff Wilson actually led in on the first and second down. It was a very small sample size. It was only eight minutes and they were in uh, the lead in this game or at that point. So take that for what it's for what it's worth. But uh, we have seen Jeff Wilson come in before on a banged up 49ers roster and he vultured a lot of touchdowns uh, last year. So a secret waiver wire stash, I would say, would be Jeff Wilson if you need a, a, a flex option or, you know, an RB to stick in your RB slot because you were super banged up. Secret John, secrets Johnny. are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. <laughs> That's the secret of the week there for Johnny. He's talking of Jeff Wilson. Summy, I heard you chime in here. You want to you want to challenge him on that one? No, no, I was just going to ask Johnny. I mean, what do you feel about like, uh, do you feel like Jarek McKinnon could potentially outplay Jeff Wilson and take the three down back roll? Or do you think that this is going to be a split backfield no matter what? Like, oh, do you I, see, how do you see it shaking out? I think it's going to be a split backfield no matter what. We know what Kyle Shanahan likes to do, especially on this turf, which is like, this is why, in all honesty, unless you're a running back, I'm staying away from this game because we also know the field condition, right? And so I know we'll, we're going to talk about George Kittle, but I'll just jump into it right now. Uh, that's where my concern is with George Kittle is that he is on track to play this week. All reports are saying he's looking you know, healthier and like he's feeling good. But because of the concern of the field and due to the fact the 49ers just lost so many players to this same exact field they're going to play in this week because they're playing uh, in New York again, I could honestly see them hold back uh, you know, George Kittle and, and not want to risk it. Um, so I think if there's anybody I'm playing in this game, it would be these running backs. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think I'm hearing you say you'd want to bench George Kittle if he was, if he was in. Oh no, no, no. If he's, in, if he's playing, okay. if he's playing, you're playing him, but I'm saying okay, don't be, right. I would start to make, and it would, it would make sense that Shanahan would bench Kittle for this game, arrest him for this game, right? Because he just complained about the, the turf here, uh, ripping him, ripping his team in half pretty much. So I, especially in Jordan Reed did fill in quite nicely. If Kittle doesn't go, do we trust Jordan Reed to be the one option here in the pass of the pass catchers? That's a good question. I want to pose that to you guys because I didn't even I didn't even trust him going into week one, and now it, he scored, yeah. and I was like, unbelievable! Two, this yeah. would happen. So, or sorry, week two. Uh, excuse me. So I don't scored know. Twice. Yeah. So w w would you guys feel comfortable starting him? Yeah, I honestly, I Kittle's honestly out. would. I think if Kittle's out, I think you roll with Jordan Reed. Just we've seen what this offense is capable to do with the tight end position. We know Nick Mullins is in there. He's going to be looking for the easy checkdowns. Jordan Reed should be there over the middle to be able to soak up a lot of the targets here. So I yeah. like me some Jordan Reed if Kittle's out, and I think um, it's 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 a pretty safe bet as opposed to the other pass catchers. I will. Yeah, and I do want to point out. Next I, 
I do. I just, yeah. I just want to point out that Kittle had the same injury. I said this last week on the last matchup show. He had the same exact injury, same knee last year. Uh, John Lynch said he, he'd be back the next week. He sat out for two weeks. So expect him to sit out this week as well, combined with the reasons why Johnny gave. But he came back and he had a dominant 139 receiving line and uh, two touchdowns or something like that. So don't be too worried. And the Giants. I, I went have through that the, exact conversation. Well, I was just going to say, Go Giants on. have the fourth best defense against the tight end position. That's what makes me cautious as well on all of that. They play, though. That's the, that's you know, also I wanted to just take a moment to touch on Travis's question there of would you trust Jordan Reed? Because I am a George Kittle roster in our league of record and jordan reed was the first name i picked up when we saw kittle go down i ended up rolling with hayden hurst who was available thank you travis for dropping him and picking him up there burn. that week <laughs> that was no great. no burn no burn no no burn, I, no, no, burn. no it was just funny no it was, no it was funny yeah no, it was no, just no. funny i'm good no, i got you bro that was that was no shade just like i would i would do the same thing why would you why would you roster another good tight end i would take Noah fant over over uh Hayden Hurst anyways. But my point was that I switched over to Hayden Hurst after reading some speculation that Shanahan always wants Jordan Reed to be the number two tight end. There was part of the Reed management program that was coming in and expectations that Ross Welly might actually fill in that more every down role. And so that was what made me say, ooh, maybe not. But then when we look at the targets, Dwelly gets one target. Jordan Reed gets eight for two touchdowns. I feel pretty good about filling Reed in any time that Kittle's going to Yeah, be it's down. like when you're drunk and you're like, I really want to not text my ex. But then I get <laughs> drunk and I text my ex still. So I, I just feel like Shanahan you wants are. to keep Reed off the field because he's an athlete uh, and, he's, and he's injury it. prone, but he can't help it. Like he gets to a point where it's like, I'm going to have to put him in here uh, to go there. So. Moving on to our next game. I love the perspective there, guys. Really appreciate that. I'm sure Whisper Nation will as well. Moving on to our next game. Cleveland is hosting the Washington football team in a 44-point over-under. And Cleveland, once again, with a nice matchup here, favored by seven. I mean, when you look at these two teams, you look at this matchup, what are some of the bigger storylines you're looking to dive into in this game? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, the Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb argument, you know, is Kareem Hunt better than Nick Chubb and, and back and forth, vice versa. Um, that's going to be interesting to look at how that shakes out over the course of the season. I have my own take on that. I do feel like Nick Chubb has never not been game script proof, right? So like if they're up big, I expect Nick Chubb to be out there uh, grinding out the clock along with Kareem Hunt. I think they, they're both going to split, but they'll both have good games and positive game scripts. But when it comes to negative game scripts, I'm curious to see, you know, does Kareem Hunt, like, stay on the field? Um, he was actually lined out in the slot and out wide a lot more often last year than he is this year. So uh, it's it's interesting to see how the split shakes out. And also another thing is the Baker and OBJ connection. You know, everyone last week was saying their connection looks like it's not there. But, you know, we saw him go off last week on Thursday night against the Bengals. And um, I just want to know if, you know, if there's any concern for Landry uh, moving forward, you know, is Landry going to be a viable fantasy option here with Baker emerging with uh, Odell Beckham or, you know, what's going to happen there? So it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And, and taking it right there, I'll start with, you know, Baker Mayfield here at the top because he did have a decent game. Uh, he was a top 10 quarterback last week against Cincinnati. So people are starting to get on that Baker hype again, especially in a matchup that should be decent for him. Except for I got all this talk in the offseason that Baker Mayfield was going to be used in play action because of Kevin Stefanski, and he's only been used 28% uh, on, of his dropbacks have been play action, so that it really hasn't been there. His adjusted completion percentage of 72%, that's 29th in the NFL. 
as far as a clean pocket, Cleveland's given him the 24th uh, best clean pocket, so not really a good clean pocket there for him a lot of times. And then you look at this past uh, defense that that Washington puts on the field, especially with that defensive line. They're number four in efficiency on pass defense through two games with that line. Uh, I am staying away from Baker Mayfield in this matchup. I know it should be good, but I think it will be good for Cleveland on the ground. And so that moves me along to that point you talked about, Summy Nick Chubb versus Kareem Hunt. The Chubb concern, we're talking about it every week, even after last week where he has a monster game, because you look at what Kareem Hunt's been able to do, and it's exciting for those that roster Kareem Hunt. He's got four red zone rushes. Now, that's still less than Nick Chubb's seven. You know, Nick Chubb has zero red zone targets where Kareem Hunt's got one. Um, And this was the big one for me, the elusive rating that PFF puts out has Kareem Hunt as the more elusive back here, 176.9 to Nick Chubb's 105.1. But Nick Chubb getting top 15 in in, in rushing attempts with 32. He has the higher snap percentage with 54%. I think this game lines up like Summy said. Nick Chubb's never been game script dependent, right? But you're going to want to target these games for Nick Chubb where – he is, uh, you know, game script is in his favor. And I think the same is for Kareem Hunt. Uh, and this is a smash spot for both of these guys. I would, you know, obviously, Nick Chubb, you're starting. But then I think Kareem Hunt is RB2 flex category here. Um, I want to move on here to the wide receiving core. We're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. here. And I know the connection is, has been been talked about a lot. But this guy is getting 33% of the target market share for this team. So he is still getting peppered with targets through two games. The problem comes in his efficiency. He's only caught 35% of those targets, and that's well below his career average of a 61% completion percentage uh, when he has been targeted. But I love to see the 1.78 yards per route run. He's definitely behind Landry, though, in that category. And I think they're easing Landry back in, who's only had 64% of the team snaps. I think is a tough spot for both wide receivers so i would be fading landry but i like obj uh as a wide receiver too uh because he only needs that one play we saw it last week against cincinnati he almost had two of them and i think he only needs that one time to get past this defense and go forward we're talking austin hooper guys i'm ready to move on from austin hooper you can drop yeah, it at one, this point one thing i would just like to add on um you know as far as like uh the wide receiver starts going cleveland this week i do think that jarvis you know I know they've been managing his reps, but I do think if if they continue to grow his involvement in this offense coming off that hip injury, um, I think he has a pretty good matchup this week against Jimmy Moreland in the slot. Uh, he's Jimmy Moreland's let up 70% completion percentage, 1.7 yards per route run. Washington is notor- notoriously bad for letting it up to slot receivers. Uh, so I do think Jarvis Landry has some sneaky upside in this matchup um, against you know uh, a pretty pretty insane pass rush uh coming from this front seven so i think landry's uh, i think uh uh uh, baker's gonna be under pressure wanting to get the ball out of his hands quicker and i think that goes to the slot so i think landry is kind of in a good spot i'd just be more uh, i'd just be more prone to give those targets and dump offs to kareem hunt i think that's the way this offense has rolled so far so that's really how I've seen it through two weeks. But I understand, like, if they are easing Landry back, you could definitely make the case for Landry as a what-the-heck flex here. But I'm uh, until I can see it, I'm more prone to trust the cream hunt to soak up a lot of that here. Can't blame you for um, that. So, uh, moving on to the next side, the other side of the ball, we're talking the Washington football team. Some, I think some of the higher-level stuff we've been trying to look at here has been Scary Terry and then Antonio Gibson, right? Yeah. If you look at uh, Peyton Barber's stat line 
from uh, week one to week two, it's kind of like the coach's way of saying, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give Peyton Barber that many carries. He went from like 18 carries to like one carry. And, uh, you know, you love to see it because Antonio Gibson is clearly the more talented back here. And, you know, it, it's it's good. It's it it's good for his future to, to see Gibson getting the work in his backfield. I would just like to see him more involved in the passing game because we really thought that he would be involved as a third down back and not an early down grinder. But um, that could happen. You know, I think his opportunity is going to grow just like Scary Terry. His opportunity is growing as the season goes along. And. You know, we see what he did with his volume last week, and it's only a matter of time before Gibson pops a, a long runoff. Yeah, I'm glad you you brought up Peyton Barber because after 10 red zone attempts last week and, and Gibson getting zero, Gibson actually got four red zone attempts against Arizona, and he scored on one of those. Ian Hartitz from uh, PFF said that the more uh, he was ranking the running backs for the most forced mix, missed tackles per touch among 38 running backs with 20 combined carries and receptions. Antonio Gibson is above Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs, Ezekiel Elliott, and Austin Eckler as, as the number one in that category for force wow. per touch among those running backs. So uh, love to see that. You love to see the elusive rating of one, one, 117.8 per PFF. Um, and you just love to see what you've got going here. If they're going to continue to give them the ball, I want to see him get more than one reception Obviously, that's who I think we all want to see that J.D. McKissick involved there. But uh, I don't love this matchup, but I'm willing to flex Gibson in this one just because I think the usage is trending in his direction. On Johnny, the other side, you... I'm sorry, just really quick, Johnny. I mean, do you see do you see Gibson being more involved in the passing game, especially, you know, they're facing uh, Cleveland, who's ranked second in rushing defense. Do you see Gibson's role in the passing game growing or? I mean, it, it like yeah, it should be. They, they've they been talking about it in practice, about how they've been moving him all over the field. I can see it happening. I, I think they're just trying to ease him in. They don't want to give him too much workload right away. Cool. We're concerned about Terry McLaurin, and it seems like that concern is over. He's got 27% uh, target market share now after two games um, and just came alive there. His yards per route run is 2.58. That's better than DK Metcalf, Adam Thielen, Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Hopkins through two games. So those are things you like to see from Terry McLaurin showing us why he was one of the highest graded wide receivers in his rookie year last year. Um, so I think you continue to fire up Terry McLaurin. This is a nice matchup. You saw when they got down against Arizona, they really leaned on Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas to move the ball. And I think that is going to continue to be the case in this one. And so speaking of Logan Thomas, I think he's just like ultimate volume play guys. Like he's, he's just been ton of opportunity, 25% market share, 17 targets. That's fourth most amongst tight ends through the two games. Uh, but they aren't very great targets. He's been very pedestrian in yards per route run, barely a yard, 0.94 uh, is what you see there out of Logan Thomas. So not the most inspiring, but I understand rolling with him, especially in a PPR format. On to our next slate, we've got the Philadelphia Football Eagles hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. When I look at this one, man, you've got some, you've got some things on the board, a 46.5 point over under. You've got Philly favored here by six and a half. Um, it's not, you know, I, Johnny, when we look at the Philly team, what, what are some of the things that you see when you when you go into this game? Well, one, uh, you don't like the fact that the coach is coming out and not backing up Carson Wentz. Uh, we understand Carson Wentz has not looked the greatest, um, but can he get right in this matchup against Cincinnati? 
Uh, you also have Miles Sanders, who looks to be that RB1 that you drafted. He looked really, really good, got the vast majority of the carries. We thought maybe they would ease him back in, uh, but they it gave him a full workload there. And then uh, you also have, you know, what's going on with this tight end position, uh, Goddard and Ertz. It's like you have the fantasy community wrapped up and on their heels at who is going to win out? Who's going to be the tight end one for the Philadelphia Eagles? And, uh, you know, I'll throw this over to Austin. Austin, what are you, what are you thinking about uh, as far as Carson Wentz? Does he have the ability to turn this around uh, or could it be on waiver wires? I don't think there are a lot of reasons to keep Carson Wentz around right now unless there truly aren't any better options. And I would be shocked if there were not any other better options available for you in your league unless you're playing in a 30-team Superflex league, something <laughs> like that. 30-team um, Superflex league. <laughs> like, that's brutal. It's, we're starting to chase some hills with Robert Griffin birds of the world. Like mortals. Yeah, you're uh, starting to treat your quarterback position the way I'm going to have to treat my running back position in these next couple of weeks after <laughs> losing Saquon Barkley to a knee injury and Sony Michelle to irrelevancy. But I am not feeling great about Carson Wentz. And here's the reason why. There isn't a good reason to feel good about Carson Wentz at the moment. I mean, his best receiver is either a 33-year-old Deshaun Jackson or a rookie Jalen Rieger. You don't have any real consistency at that position. Zach Ertz is your still number one option. Godard is looking nice, but that isn't a clean situation. They're not happy over there. Zach Ertz is going through some interpersonal uh, drama with the front office. Godard still got some injuries, but the big thing, the big reason why, despite the lack of real viable pass catchers, um, despite the talk from the organization, as Johnny alluded to, of of being uh, Doug Peterson being critical of his of his team, uh, it's the line, it's the pressure, it's the amount of hits that Carson Wentz is taking, and there's no real reason to think that's going to shift right now. The Philadelphia Eagles are the 27th ranked pass blocking efficient team. Uh, Carson Wentz has number he's number six in drop back pressure, and he's tied for the lead with Deshaun Watson already taking eight sacks. The line's not great right now at pass blocking. Carson Wentz is not great at throwing the ball. He doesn't have a ton of amazing options this year. Um, I would I would look elsewhere. He's a very good quarterback when he's got the weapons around him, but he's got to have people to pass the ball. He's got to have time, and neither of those two does he have a lot of right now. Well, let's start with that bad then, because we know the good is probably in Miles Sanders for this offense and maybe one or one or two of the tight ends. But the bad is the wide receivers, right, Austin? We're looking at Deshaun Jackson and Jalen Rieger kind of capping each other's upside. We think that both could be good, but they seem to be kind of splitting snap shares and things like that. Do you trust either of these to get it done here? I mean, we saw Cincy kind of give up some big plays to Cleveland last week. So are you confident in either one this week? I'm not confident in either. I'm feeling all right rolling either one out as a flex play. Um, Deshaun Jackson would be my preferred choice in receiving nine targets, leading the team, uh, making six grabs uh, for 64 yards, but he's still that deep threat. Um, he's gotten two deep bomb passes gone his way. They haven't really connected yet. It's just a matter of time before that happens. Um, J Jackson would be my flex play. I'd be okay with it, to be honest, um, but I'm not confident in, in either one. 
All right, so moving on to the tight ends, Austin, we know you talked a little bit about that Zach Ertz drama. You talked a little bit about Dallas Goddard being the target getter and basically has the touchdown upside for the tight ends here. How are you feeling how this this tight end shakes out, and, and are you looking to tar- target either? I know at this point, if you've drafted Ertz, you drafted him early, so you've been starting him. But is it time to bench Ertz in, in favor of Goddard? I would pause on benching Ertz in favor of Goddard. If you have that ability, if you have them both, that's something you could consider. If you had Ertz too, I don't think you can move on from him. I think it's a wait and see. You hope that it picks up. We know what Ertz is capable of. Him and Wentz have that relationship. They have that rapport. It's a it's a short season, but it's a long season at the same time. And we see a lot of movement develop from the chemistry and the rapport and the system as it sets in. I believe Zach Ertz still finishes on top. I don't think it's even going to be close uh, between those two. If you could go and pick Zach Ertz up right now um, at a buy low situation, I would try to do that. Um, I wouldn't break the bank on it. And also, if I was a Zach Ertz, if I had him on my roster, I I would just be sitting there with him. If you got a roster spot to pick up a more exciting tight end option, I'd say go for it right now. Wait until we see Ertz be Ertz again. I think it will happen, um, but I'm not convinced it's going to happen this week, even going against Cincinnati. I mean, are you concerned? I mean, if you look at the target market share, right? Dallas Goddard has three more targets than Zach Ertz on the year. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the Zacherts that we know is the 130, 140 targets a year kind of guy, right? Like, if Goddard is eating this much into his volume, and, you know, I think that's happening because of the lack of pass-catching weapons. They need Goddard to run out of the slot. Like, do you expect Ertz to get back to form, like, soon? Or, like... Week five. Week five. I'd say by week five. If week five we see this trend continuing, I would panic. I would try to move on as quickly as I could. Um but I would wait until we get a month plus. Would it be a little bit too late to kind of sell them high at we, in week five then? you know, probably, like, I mean, you're probably not going to sell. I think what Austin's saying here is it's a hold, and you've got to hope that if you took Gertz, he's going to turn around. I think yeah. the, 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 the idea here would be to pick up a, you know, a guy like Mo Alley-Cox or somebody off the waivers that you could invest in that has some upside where Ertz is not going to give you that upside and maybe roster two tight ends and hope that Ertz turns it around. I, I just don't know if I see that coming either. Um, but I understand, you know, the the volume has been there in the past, and we can't n- necessarily trust the wide receiving core in Philly. Uh, Johnny, when we look at the Cincinnati side of the ball, there are a few things that pop out to us. What is catching your eye in this particular fantasy matchup from a higher level view? Uh, well, we've seen the Philadelphia Eagles passing defense give up a lot uh, over the last couple of week, uh, weeks to uh, the quarterback position. So will Joe Burrow continue his hot streak? Uh, He looked really good last week. He passed for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Will he do it again this week against this Philadelphia defense? Uh, Joe Mixon off to a slow start, but is he going to be able to turn it around uh, this week against the Philadelphia Eagles? And then the last one is this A.J. Green. Uh, I have have some concern about A.J. Green, and I understand he's getting a lot of targets, but not catching a lot of them, and they're not – very quality targets on some of them. Uh, they're they're you know fifty fifty balls that I don't know if AJ Green is fit uh, to go and do at this a you know day and age of his career. Uh, so those are the big questions I have for the Cincinnati Bengals uh, that I think that we should talk about. 
Austin, walk us through here the the running back situation first because I think people have been a little bit panicky on Joe Mixon seeing too much Gio Bernard in uh, what should be his backfield. I would also feel a little bit nervous on it. Giovanni Bernard is that little engine that could, and he is doing it again. He is involved in the pass catching game in a way Joe Mixon is just not. I mean, we're looking at four targets to Joe Mixon compared to the seven targets for Giovanni Bernard. Uh, Joe Mixon had zero targets in the red zone. Giovanni Bernard had the one red zone target, excuse me, two red zone targets. He also had the red zone carry and a touchdown. Uh, Joe Mixon was still involved in the red zone. It's not a full-blown panic mode there, but Giovanni Bernard to me is going to be cap capping that ceiling of Joe Mixon because Joe Mixon is not the unquestioned bell cow, one through three down back, catching passes, running between the tackles, going outside as well. Giovanni Bernard is involved in this game. Uh, he's involved with this team, and uh, I don't see that stopping rest of season. We're dealing with another team also in Cincinnati that has a very bad line. Uh, it was bad last year. It's looking bad again. It's not good for Joe Burrow. It's not good for the running backs. And uh, I think any win that they pick up this season is going to be really hard fought. And because Joe Burrow is just that kind of player. And the wide receiving being at Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, A.J. Green getting all the volume you'd like to see, but not looking like the best wide receiver at the moment. Uh, Tyler Boyd needed a garbage time touchdown to kind of sell his day. Do you follow it? This is are you are you um, travis coming in choppy do you guys his robot yeah, yeah. impersonation is fire sorry about that <laughs> uh, travis you were sounding like uh, tron 3000 there for a second yeah oh my bad uh <laughs> i was just kind of asking about this wide receiving core and whether you feel confident in either time <laughs> he's coming in like tron 3000 again so i think the question is whether i feel confident in tyler boyd aj green t higgins um let's make sure we didn't lose travis here oh there we go we just did he'll be back but um i'm 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 genuinely concerned about tyler boyd uh i will say that right now i don't know if you guys are on the same board um you know tyler boyd in a game where joe burrow joe burrow tossed for 61 pass attempts i mean tyler boyd saw what eight targets nine targets like you should expect him to see a lot more but he just doesn't seem like the the number two option here i mean he's going to drew sample he's going to cj yuzma i mean yuzma got injured last week but um you know tight ends are getting targeted uh geo bernard's getting targeted but not joe mixon uh, I'm concerned because, you know, they're 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 force feeding A.J. Green, who's been inefficient. I just hope this this coaching staff realizes like, hey, maybe we shouldn't waste our pass attempts and, you know, throw it at guys who can actually make something happen with it. Um, what do you guys think? I think it's a big get right situation and figuring it out. To me, it's hard to take any of the stats that we're seeing come out of Cincinnati from the pass catching positions with a lot of sincerity right now. We're talking about a rookie quarterback who's chucking it 60-plus times. We're talking about a perennial playmaker, and A.J. Green coming back from not having an entire season the year before. We're talking about T. Higgins, another rookie who's got playing time and took over the John Ross role right now. Um, and we now have a tight end who just went down for the season, prayers up for Uzuma. It's... it's we don't really know who the Cincinnati Bengals are to me right now. We don't know who Joe Burrow's favorite option is. We don't know what A.J. Green is really capable of. It's hard for me to take the stats we're seeing in this moment after just two games um, until we see a little bit more from so many players with question marks all around. 
I agree. I think it's, uh, you know, we just don't know what this team is yet. And I think we'll find out a little bit more as the season goes along. Um, Zach Taylor, we saw him late last year pick it up. But uh, let's move on to to the next matchup, shall we? To New England and Las Vegas. Las Vegas coming on, coming off a really big win on Monday Night Football against the Saints. First game uh, at, Reli- uh, was it, Alliance Stadium? Or where is it called? Allegiant. Allegiant Stadium. Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, might as well be called Roomba, right? No, dude. <laughs> it's the Death Star, man. Uh, John Gruden apparently loves that nickname. Yeah, it's fucking, it. it's awesome. Just drop that <laughs> bomb on the, on the. That's how excited I was. I love it, dude. I love that stadium. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I guess like Austin, why don't you fill us in on like what to watch out for in this New England game, right? Like, what are like the major narratives going on here? Like, what should we, what should we be focusing on? The first, the biggest one, and one of the biggest narratives in this game, as well as the entire NFL, is the reemergence of Cam Newton. Cam Newton, not only has he been running the ball at a very high clip, he's been throwing the ball um, in a way I haven't, maybe, I can't remember Cam Newton throwing the ball the way that he is right now. He still doesn't look crazy accurate, but he's making the plays happen. Uh, He's pushing 400 yards every time. It's a whole entire New England situation led by Cam Newton. I mean, my goodness, he got Julian Edelman uh, over 150 yards last week. That, to me, is the, is the storyline of the New England Patriots, is Cam Newton and this new offense. Um, and it's one of the top storylines in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, just to kind of speak to that a little bit. So Cam Newton, I mean, if you picked him up in fantasy, congratulations. You're probably one of the smartest uh, uh, owners in your league. But uh, he's currently QB3 on the season, you know, and, and that's that's um, I guess that just kind of shows the narrative of like, oh, he's injury prone or or whatever it is. No, he's just in a good offense and like, don't overthink it. He's in a good offense. He he fits this offense. You know, they, they can fit the offense around him. And we saw them. We saw them do that for the first two weeks. You know, first week it was more. Uh, Cam, run the ball. Uh, don't throw it as much because we don't need you to. But then the next game, it was like, hey, Cam, throw the ball for us because we need to. We need to be in a competitive game. We're not going to win by running the ball. Um, and if you look, he threw for 397 yards, like you said, Austin, which is the third most of his career. You have to go all the way back to his first ever two games in the NFL to find a higher passing yardage total from him. He passed for 422 his first game. 432 his second game and after that he hasn't passed for more than 397 so nice stats on that yeah i mean if you take that into context with it's his second game in a new system right he's in a new offense this new england playbook is extremely hard to learn from what we know uh there's a lack of weapons here in new england and yet he was still able to throw an inaccurate quarterback like cam newton was still able to throw for 400 yards Dude, this this offense is going to be unstoppable. Like, how do you guard this offense? Like, the only reason Seattle was able to win that game is because Russ threw for five touchdowns. And they were really supposed to lose that game. You know, if Cam had just dumped it off over the top to, like, a, a lineman, uh, for example, you know, on that last play, like, they would have won. So I think Cam, over, overall, he has, he has overall QB1 upside. And combine that all that with the fact that, you know, he has 10 red zone rushing attempts four rushing touchdowns over two weeks. I think it's a no-brainer. You know, you're going to roll out Cam every single week, no matter the matchup. Um, Travi, what do you think about Cam? Like, do you feel like he's he's going to be consistent? Or do you feel like he's, uh, he's going to have his weeks? Well, am I robo-Travi right now? I just want to make sure I'm coming through. No, nope. uh, no, you're correctly. good. Okay, good. I'm good. Uh, I do think that Cam is essentially this year's 
you know, I don't want to go as far as to say Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, but he is the late round quarterback of this year so far through two weeks. He is the guy that you got later on that you took the trust in and that continues to put up good numbers. And similar to what you were saying there, Sonny, is that this offense makes it to where, you know, as long as the pieces stay healthy around him and he himself, that's the big one, stays healthy. This offense has always been one that can interchange parts and confuse defenses, and now it takes it to a whole new level with Cam Newton. So, yeah, I'm really on board with that. But I really wanted to talk, you know, in this particular matchup about this running back where we've said now for two weeks, fade, 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 but Sony Michelle was still getting work. How are we feeling about Sony Michelle in this particular uh, matchup against, you know, a team in Las Vegas who, who should be, you know, beatable uh, and defensively? Yeah, I mean, Las Vegas ranks 31st in passing defense through two weeks. Um, but even even with that considered, Sony Michelle is droppable to me at this point. Um, number one, the upside is limited, right? Because you have Cam taking, a, taking in all the goal line rush attempts, right? All the valuable fantasy scoring opportunities. Uh, Sony's actually second on the team in red zone rushing attempts with four compared to Cam's 10. But outside of that, I mean, you're not really getting much from him, right? Because he's averaging just north of three yards a carry. He's inefficient. We, we've we seen that year in and year out for the last two years now. Um, and Cam's going to lead this team in rushing yards and attempts. So Sony, to me, is droppable. He's a landmine. Um, him, Rex Burkhead, James White is a fringe flex play at this point. You know, we see that Cam uh, doesn't really like to target the running back outside of – if your name's not Christian McCaffrey, he's not going to target you. Um, I, know, I know the game plan, you know, might call for more James White involvement over the next couple of weeks, but – it has to be pretty competitive. And if you look at their next couple of weeks, they have Casey. Sure, that might be competitive. But then there's Denver, and then they have a bye, and then San Francisco. Hey, after put that, some so. respect on this Las Vegas undefeated team's name right now, Summy. I think you got they're, they're going to try and shock the world here. No, but I you think know, you're, you're correct in your breakdown of the backfield. I do want to say it seems to be a two-man show as far as pass catchers are concerned with Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman actually being the top option there. Wouldn't you agree, Summy? Yeah, I mean, they both have a stranglehold on the market share, 29% to each of them, 18 targets apiece uh, through three weeks. Um, you know, as long as in uh, New England is in competitive games, I think Nikhil Harry could be involved just as much as Jules, but I think Julian Edelman's the clear-cut number one. So we got lit awesome. up in the, Chelsea and I got lit okay. up in the Whisper Nation League for picking up Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman, and uh, we got lit up pretty hard on are. that one. Yeah. And uh, well, here's the thing about the listener league. There's no love lost in that chat. Uh, If you if you take a look at what's going on in that chat, people just destroy you for what's going on. And uh, yeah, I got the same kind of beef for going upside down, but uh, things are working out okay for me. Um, Anyways, on the other side of the ball, Austin, there's the Las Vegas Raiders and they're coming off this short week. But what are some of the storylines that you're watching for with this Raiders team as far as fantasy is concerned? As far as fantasy concerned, Darren Waller is the storyline. Darren Waller is one of those tight ends who is the main vein at the pass catching position. We saw him break out last year. He's doubling down on that production now. And the other options over there are two very high pedigreed, talented rookies. They're going to do well. Johnny's boy Edwards, Chelsea's boy Ruggs. They're going to have long, good careers in the NFL and weeks that they pop off for you. I cannot emphasize enough how difficult it is to play in the NFL as someone who's never played in the NFL. Take my word for it. (laughs) And Edwards, though, in rugs at this position, it's a very, very tough thing to do to produce at a high level, let alone a fantasy relevant level in the NFL as a rookie. 
Um, so to me, from the pass catching fantasy side, it's the Darren Waller show uh, until we see some of these rookies starting to come forward with, I don't want to call it historic production levels, um, but last time I checked, there were still less than 10 rookies who had broken a thousand yards like ever. And so it's, it's a tough one to overcome. It's, it's tough to make it so, happen. So, Sammy, let me ask you then, because now it seems if that's the case, then we've got a two-man show as far as the Vegas offense is concerned. And we've got Josh Jacobs and we've got Darren Waller. So do you believe that maybe Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs and, you know, you can even throw in um, – man, I'm blanking on his name uh, – Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Renfro are capping each other's upside as far as targets and, and uh, upside is concerned with the pass catchers outside of Waller. Yeah, I think you did the, hit the nail on the head. It's just a two-man show here that I'd be willing to start at all. It's Waller and Jacobs, right? Because if you look at the target market share, uh, Las Vegas actually leads the league in terms of market share to the tight end. And that's, you know, they're getting 45.3% target market share. Waller seeing 42% of all the targets uh, on this team. And he actually leads the league. Goodness gracious. Among all pass catching positions, wide receivers and tight ends, he leads the entire league in target market share. Forty two. Did you see the way so. Derek Carr like smiled at Lisa Salters last night when he was being asked about Darren Waller? I mean, it they was just like him. a school. Oh yeah, he's like, I, I see you. You saw he caught a lot of balls tonight, right, Lisa? And it's like, dude, he just knows what he's doing. He's peppering Waller with targets, and that's what it's going to be. Here. And John, John Gruden is so weird. You could see him being like, Yeah, we want to get him more. You yeah, know, right? just like yeah. and and. And, and his post game, yeah, his post game uh, conference was like, "Look, I know Kittle and Kelsey exist, but we've got a guy that's like just still learning the position and could be as good as both of them, if not better." So you yeah. know they want to continue to pound the rock with Darren Waller. So like, yeah, like we said, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller in your lineup, everybody else not even worth a, a start here. Uh, moving on to the next matchup, we've got the Chicago Bears going to the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta to face the Falcons in a forty-seven and a point. 47.5 over under and I'm shocked by this line Atlanta only favored by three and a half I guess I shouldn't be so shocked Sammy, given what Atlanta's been able to do and give up leads lately yeah it's uh you know they had a 28 to 3 flashback game uh last week against Dallas and I mean what the hell was going on in that special teams play like th that just means that a coach didn't know the rules so they so he taught his players the play to not touch yeah. the ball the players like, didn't know the rule no, but that comes from coaching, right? Well, like, you don't although oh, oh, I get, I did hear this explanation. I thought it was kind of interesting, and it, it does make a little bit of sense that the players were nervous to jump on the ball because of the way it was spinning. That if they were to jump on it, it would squirt out, and then they would be, no, no, no. it would have been no, no, no. Uh, in trouble. If you, okay, that, that's an excuse that they'll use after the fact because they don't want to seem stupid. But if you yeah. clearly watch the film, it's clearly they're like, guys, don't touch. They're like, oh they're yeah. Like telling everyone, I Back, you know, so I mean, they're just trying to cover their asses. But um, excuse, excuse my French there. But uh, I think another storyline to watch is, you know, is Calvin Ridley overtaking Julio as a wide receiver one in this offense? That's going to be interesting to watch, not just for fantasy, but actual, you know, real life production. I mean, can Calvin Ridley go for fourteen hundred yards this season? And then also, who's the third option? Right, we've seen Gage be really productive. And I know Johnny hates Hayden Hurst with a passion, but no. I think he's, he's here to stay. Like, he's athletic. If you watch his catches that he makes, they're freakishly athletic. I'm not and saying – no, I'm not saying he's he's not on the game time sucking list. That's not that's not where this came from. He yes. is a talented yes. tight end. He is very talented. <laughs> he comes he – is, he is part of the – Somewhat sucky list because of the draft capital initially, but a lot of people got him in an okay range. And then the other thing is, is that 
I am not, yes, this week it was great because he scored a touchdown. But if he didn't score the touchdown, you'd be like, eh, seven, seven point. Like, he, he needs to score a touchdown in to order be fair, to be fair, though. That's how a tight end kind of landscape works for most times. Like, if they get the touchdown, they're good. If they don't, sometimes they're bad. But right. we were talking yeah, about guys like Darren Waller and Gasicki and all these new sure. tight ends coming in the slot role. It might sure, be a but, new era. Yeah, yeah. Gasicki ran those same routes and then didn't score in week one and wasn't the guy you wanted in your lineup. So, I mean, I just I, think that there's there's games that these tight I'm ends just are saying just the, 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 but is my point. It, that is true, but here's the difference between those other guys and what's on uh, and, and Hurst. Hurst is maybe, we're saying maybe Hurst is the third target. He's looking based on the target breakdown. He is the fourth option on a, on, yes, a, a very pass heavy team for sure. But then you're talking about comparing him to other options of, you know, number one tight end options or number two on uh, teams that are also pass heavy because their defenses aren't that good. So that's the only concern. It's not that Hayden Hurst is a, t- Hayden Hurst, if right. you have him on your team right now, you continue to start him. You're going to continue to start him. He's he's going to be a solid tight end, but well, I do I think, think he's limited. To, I think I his think upside's upside. To, right, right. I think that speaks more to the amount, the sheer amount of tight ends that we've seen kind of start breaking out. And, you know, that's that like the position's really, really deep this year. And this is the, the deepest it's been since I can remember, um, which is a good thing. I fans. just have a feeling that it's going to be one of two storylines, right? Either Russell Gage or Hayden Hurst emerge as the true number three option. Or Julio Jones is not going to be the number one or number two option for the team because right now he's the number three option as far as targets are concerned. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, and he's only seen one red zone target, and and Gage has seen five, and uh, and Calvin has seen six. So mostly in garbage time, and that's probably going to happen. That's probably going to continue too. Yeah, which is wild. Like the only red well, Johnny, zone target that that Julio has seen has come from Russell Gage. That's it. And he had to drop it. It was a dime too. Yeah, uh, Johnny, what do you, what do you think about this running back game against uh, the Bears this week? This is interesting. Um, you, you're looking at the breakdown. Todd Gurley surprisingly has been getting a lot of volume, right? Like he's seeing 64 percent of the snaps. Uh, he's had 40 touches through two games. That's you like that volume. The issue is, is his yardage is he's only at 119 total scrimmage yards. So my question to you guys is. You guys think that Todd Gurley might be a buy low because he's, you know, the volume's there. He just isn't getting the yardage. And then you're looking at Ito Smith. We already know he is definitely on the all-time Johnny game time sucking list. Your number one list over there, Ito Smith. Uh, but Brian Hill, he looked decent, uh, but he also as well only played 20% of snaps. So uh, you're not really concerned there. Uh, the Bears do have a, a pretty solid run defense, uh, top 10. So that is, you know, I think that Todd Gurley is an RB2 this week at best, maybe a flex option. But I think there is an opportunity where Todd Gurley might actually be a little bit of a buy low right now. What do you feel about him seeding his goal line work to Ito? Yeah, like if you look at last week, right? Like, let me just pull up these stats here. Like last week, Todd Gurley saw six rush attempts in in, in the red zone, which is cool. But Ito had two goal line rushing attempts, you know? Um, and also, he wasn't. And he didn't convert him. And he didn't yeah, convert he didn't him because he's. You know why? Because he's on the game time sucking list. That's why he sucks. 
<laughs> well, but, we know Edo Smith sucks, but I think the question is, does Todd Gurley suck? Like, are we at the point where Todd Gurley is not good? That's, he's getting volume. He's not putting up numbers. And I think it's a scary situation to be in, especially we did see like this, this defense kind of bottle up the running game for New York last week. And I know obviously Saquon went down, but Todd Gurley is nothing to like get home about right now. And this, I think honestly, this, you could be looking to bench Gurley until we see more, until we see him cement that red zone work. Um, so I, I'm actually okay with you benching Gurley if you have better options. Now, might have a Saquon or CMC on your roster or no longer because of the injury, and you need to look at a Todd Gurley as a start, so I understand that. On the other side of the ball, we have the Chicago Bears, and we've seen a situation here where David Montgomery has looked okay. He's looked pretty good. Uh, getting the, the volume you like to see. Matt Nagy has still been cute in a lot of ways there. But, Johnny, what are you seeing from the Chicago Bear offense outside of, of David Montgomery? That's pretty much it. Uh, David Montgomery is the only thing that I've been seeing. Uh, Allen Robinson, I think there's a potential there for a little bit of a buy low. He hasn't really been the the wide receiver we expected. But, I again, Mitchell Trubisky has been weird because – they're winning games, and like it's when the pressure's on. Mitch Trubisky is actually a good quarterback, but when you know when he's the pressure isn't on, he's inconsistent. Um, and I you know you don't trust him. But you look at what he's done over the first two weeks: five touchdowns. That's pretty nice. He has uh, uh the rushing upside of forty two yards. So it's like uh, I'm not throwing him out there other than in two quarterback leagues. Um, but yeah, other than Allen Robinson. David Montgomery and uh, possible Mitch Trubisky in a two-quarterback league. I'm not starting anybody else on this team. All right, let's move on to our next matchup. We have, this is one of my favorite matchups on the docket here. We've got the Los Angeles Rams visiting the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen has been playing out of his mind here. We've got the Rams undefeated after knocking off two uh, NFC East teams. It's a 47 and a point. God, man, I've done that every time. 37 and a half point over under with a two and a half point spread favoring the Buffalo Bills. Um, I I love this matchup here and I love it for a lot of reasons. Obviously, Josh Allen has been so great here um, and the volume has been there in the passing game. 729 yards. That's the number one mark. But uh, number seven in adjusted completion percentage on his deep balls. Fourth in the NFL with 75 rushing yards. But now he's going to face this Rams D that's only allowing 16 points on average to the position so far. I am looking for this to be the litmus test on if Josh Allen can be that guy, that that top five fantasy quarterback that a lot of fantasy analysts have been calling for. But you're obviously starting him here because of that upside there. What When we really get into it with, with Buffalo, I think the, the, the discussion is in the backfield. Devin Singletary versus Zach Moss. And Devin Singletary is basically trying to say the discussion is over. Uh, three red zone rushing attempts, three red zone targets. So even after Zach Moss dominated red zone usage in game one, it swung Devin Singletary's way. He's the more elusive running back. He's got a 70.1, not a high score, but more elusive than Zach Moss is 31.8. Um, there's a 57% snap share that's going towards Singletary to uh, as opposed to Moss's 45%. And I think Moss is just basically a guy you're hoping falls into the end zone until he can prove to be the dynamic back that he was at Utah. It looks like Singletary is going to be the more fantasy-relevant guy, getting more of the money touches here. They're facing a Rams D that has given up the eighth most points to running backs this year, so I'm way confident in Devin Singletary here as actually going to be the way that that 
Buffalo moves the ball. Summy, do you agree with that you'd be favoring the running backs here over the wide receivers? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Rams' pass defense, uh, ranked second best over the first two weeks. Um, you know, they've got a couple of good playmakers back there. They're, they're, they're second-year safety. Uh, what's his name? He's come on strong, and obviously you have Jalen Ramsey there as well. Um, but yeah, like, listen, Stefan Diggs, I think to me is a, is a, is a sell high right now. The schedule gets a little bit tougher for Josh Allen. Uh, John Brown's looking like he's not ready to give that roll up. And, uh, yeah, listen, I like Singletary a lot, uh, a lot more than Moss. So I, I would definitely start Singletary this week. So touching a little bit on that wide receiver, we do see Diggs with 27% market share through two games, but John Brown with 25%. Um, so you look at Stefan Diggs, uh, 69% completion rate. Nice. You like that a lot. But um, you've got John Brown just doing things there with 13.08 leading the team in average depth of target. So I really agree with you here, Summy, that John Brown makes it so that Stefan Diggs is probably a sell high. I don't see think you're going to get most two-game stretches from Josh Allen of him passing for 700-plus yards. You're not going to get Miami and the Jets every week. So I think that's a, a situation where – you kind of roll with that. I wouldn't start. Uh, that being said, I wouldn't be that comfortable in starting either of these guys here against that that secondary of, of the Rams, but I'm going to tip my hat to Diggs here in that matchup. All right, if we move over to the Rams side of the ball, Jared Goff here uh, running what seems to be a very efficient offense. Uh, we were talking about play action with Baker Mayfield. The tops of the league is actually Jared Goff, who's running play action on 48% of his, of his, ba- of his dropbacks. And then you've got this team that's pass pro grade of 89.1. So you love what they're doing. Uh, this was a team that was supposed to have a bad line, and you actually see them blocking pretty well as far as the passing game is concerned. So Jared Goff, I think, it worth, is worth consideration here, uh, although I don't love the matchup. It would have to be a, 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 a you know kind of a deeper QB situation, maybe a super flex league. Um, Daryl Henderson, though, is the one that's grabbing my attention. We had a, a bit of a dialogue off air, Austin, uh, um, about this backfield. Um, and so, you know, you you look at this and, and you've made the argument here that it could be a week to week thing. And, I, and I, I agree with you. You look at what happened in week one. Malcolm Brown had a lot of usage here. But last week, uh, Daryl Henderson went from 23 percent snap share up to 42 percent. Are you confident in rolling Daryl Henderson out here, given Cam Akers injury? Especially this week. This week is the best week I think you could start, Daryl Henderson. I wouldn't hold too much on to that, but if you got him this week, roll him out with confidence. It should be fun. He's got injuries around him. He came into this season dealing with a tissue issue, but he looks fully healthy and the only one of those running backs to be healthy, in fact. And like you had mentioned before, Big Trav, he is looking explosive. He looked good. Uh, but Malcolm Brown was an efficient runner in week one. Sean McVay has said he wants to take the hot hand approach, uh, and that's exactly what he has done this far, and it's worked out really well. A reminder for all the listeners is that NFL coaches do not care about your fantasy team at all. Kyle Shanahan (laughs) showed us that last year. Sean McVay is trying to take a little lesson from his fellow California coach up in the Bay and says, well, uh, we've got three decent running backs. We don't have any true studs over here. We don't have a world beater running back, but we got a lot of good ones. And we're going to keep them all good by giving them less than 15 touches a game and feeding whoever is performing the best. Last week, that was Daryl Henderson. Cam Akers has his breakout game coming up. I fully expect that to happen at some point in the season. Malcolm Brown has never been a bad runner. This week, though, Daryl Henderson is your choice. Feel good about it. Get him in your lineup and uh, watch him go. 
Cam Akers breakout may be coming, but right now the only thing broken on Cam Akers seems to be rib and cartilage uh, situation. So for now, we we don't attempt we don't foresee him being in this game likely, and that would lean Daryl Henderson's way. So go ahead and fire him up with confidence, as Austin says there. The wide receiving core gets a little bit different here. They're going to draw this Buffalo secondary that you don't love. But Robert Woods, Johnny, in a revenge game here against Buffalo. Uh, And you've got to like the usage that you've seen out of Robert Woods so far. Yeah, definitely like the the usage that you're seeing. 25% market share, uh, three red zone targets in two games. Uh, That is very, very nice. We talked about uh, the 11 personnel Know, would make him the the wide receiver one there. What's interesting is that Cooper Cup actually played more snaps uh, than Robert Woods uh, again, uh, but he did not see more targets. But so, not by much. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's yeah. like one snap. But um, yeah, still worth note. No, uh, yeah. no, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. I uh, know. I just think you're confident, Robert Woods. You're rolling him out there. Um, uh, Robert Woods should have a good year. Cooper Cup as uh, well. Some of the last. Yeah, do you, do you roll both of these out here? That I guess that's my question here, Sammy. Are you rolling with both Woods and Cup? I think that's a question to, that people are going to be asking here. Absolutely. Uh, with this offense performing the way it is, with both these guys, we know their role. Um, we know the level of love that over under. Love that over under. It's definitely going to be a shootout. I think uh, even with these strong uh, uh, secondaries on both sides of the ball, um, I do think you know Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. They're must starts every week. And then finally, Tyler Higby, I just want to make a final note here. 87% snap share actually leads the wide receivers. And that that tends that can happen with tight ends because they come into block. 17% target market share, but leads the team in red zone targets with four. You like to see that. I think if you drafted Higby, especially in those middle rounds, you're feeling vindicated after a lot of people say he couldn't do it. And thus far, he's cashed in. I do think he'll be more volatile than his three touchdown week every week. But uh, I think I do like where Higby's headed this offseason. Well, that's it, guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. And that's it for us on these week one matchups, part one, or week one, week three matchups, part one. We will get part two out to you in a separate show uh, after this. want to thank you all for listening. Uh, However you're consuming the content, make sure you follow us on all platforms. For Austin Sear, for Summy, for Johnny Game Time Hicks, I am Big Travi, and we are the Fantasy Whispers. We're out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Whisperers podcast. You can hear more from John and Travis on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TF Whisperers.